This is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's the place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Well, welcome aboard, folks. Dr. Charles Parker here another time. And this particular day, this particular recording is going to be really interesting. It's a conversation between two people of like minds. Dr. Beth Battinelli up in New Jersey is going to talk to us about her thoughts about the application of ADHD in, get this, folks, get this, the criminal justice system. Welcome aboard, Beth. I look forward to talking to you. Hi, it's so good to be here. I'm so excited to be here. So it's going to be fun. You know, I want to say a couple of words about Beth real quickly and introduce you, Beth, and then we'll go ahead and talk. One thing about Beth is I've we've talked before, and I know a little bit about what's going on with her, but she's a very astute clinician who for years worked in the system, as they say, in New Jersey. And so she was in the, worked in various facilities in New Jersey. She's going to tell us more about it. But she's had an awakening, and I thought it would be really interesting to share her awakening with our audience and how she got to it, and then we'll actually ultimately close with how people can contact her, because I think more people are going to be interested in her project than where she is right now, but it's a beginning. So, Beth, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself to get started, and then how you got interested in this whole ADHD project with individuals who are in correction facilities. Sure. Thanks. So I actually have ADHD. Um, I I was diagnosed when I was doing my internship um, in clinical psychology. And that journey to be a psychologist actually started when my own and oldest daughter was diagnosed, or actually it took a long time to get her a diagnosis of ADHD because then girls really didn't have it and she wasn't hyperactive. So it's been a long um, relationship with ADHD that I'm aware of because obviously I have ADHD, I've had it my whole life. But when I was a mom and I was still a student, I remember reading an article that said people who have ADHD have a higher rate of incarceration and a higher rate of alcoholism and substance abuse. And I remember thinking to myself, very sort of haughty of me to think, well, that's not going to happen to me because I'm a good mother. And if my children have been incarcerated, they haven't told me. But the point is, is that I actually thought it had something to do with my parenting rather than really understanding what ADHD was all about. And uh, that was in the early 90s. So I'll fast forward to the point where I find myself working in corrections in New Jersey, and I'm in the mental health department. And my job is to interview inmates upon intake to determine where they should be housed according to their diagnosis or if they need some kind of special housing. And I started to see a pattern of all these things that it wasn't anything that I learned as a graduate student. It wasn't anything that I learned through the DSM. It was the four at the time. I was, but I was seeing patterns and I was seeing people who were using substances and I would see risky behavior, impulsive behavior. And there was something that happened. There was a procedure that was, it was a protocol that was being given 
to some of the inmates who were coming in. They would say that they were withdrawing from alcohol, which they weren't, but they would say that they were in order to get this alcohol withdrawal protocol. And what happened is there started to be this increase in the number of suicide attempts within the jail, not suicide completions, but attempts. And so I had an opportunity to interview these people afterwards, happily, you know, what was going on? What happened? What was this feeling like? And I couldn't find any answers. And actually, this is when I first met you, Dr. Parker. I found your book online. I wrote to you. You wrote back and explained some of the basic brain science that was going on. And I got the new ADHD medication rules book. And it was like, I could not believe what I was reading. Because Everything that I was reading was what I was seeing, but I had never seen it described that way. And so having that information gave me a new confidence to be able to discuss with the inmates. When they would come in, a lot of times people didn't know anything about what was going on with them, or they thought they they had ADHD, maybe they had it as a kid. I'll give you a good example of, of a kid that came in, a kid who, nice kid, 18 had a job, had a truck, was speeding, got a speeding ticket, but he forgot to go to court. So he got arrested because he had ADHD and he, I guess, thinks fast, better when the world outside is faster than the world inside, continues to speed, he gets another speeding ticket. And this time he gets arrested and brought to jail because he missed a court date. And I'm thinking, this kid knows he has a ticket, but I'm sure if he's anything like me, he forgot where he put it or when the court date was, and it was, that's why he got arrested, because he's disorganized and he has ADHD. And I say to him, do you have ADHD? And he said to me, well, I used to, but I graduated. <laughs> so that was one end of the spectrum of awareness. And then there were people that were diagnosed, but their parents didn't believe in medication. A very and common, were a lot of, very common. Yeah. And then there were a lot of people that were drinkers. So I, I started to notice a path. So I know some ADHD people in my own life that are drinkers. And you know, if when the alcohol gets a shot of that alcohol and it turns into fuel right away, the brain's like, ah, oh. but it burns like a paper fire. And so they have another and another. And if they would only pass out, no one would care if they they drank so much, but they don't for whatever reason. Then I don't know the neuroscience behind it, but they get argumentative and they get into a fight and they get arrested. And that's just another example of some type of person that I would see in corrections. So I started to explain to inmates things like, you know, this is your frontal lobe, putting my hand to my forehead, and this is your midbrain, and put my hand over the top of my head, and say, this is your busy midbrain. And so you can either dummy down the midbrain or you could jumpstart the forebrain. Which do you do, et cetera, et cetera. And I made, I was so inspired by the effect that I had by understanding these people in a scientific way and a very basic, not really deep, but understanding, explaining that this behavior that you have is sort of like it's you're like, what if you were a diesel engine in a gasoline world and you just keep trying to go to the gasoline station and you're not functioning right? You're going to feel bad about yourself. You got to know what kind of engine you have under that hood. 
And that's pretty much what my whole approach was. And they would want more. And this is an intake and I don't have anything more. And I'd be writing like little slips of paper that said uh, core brain journal. I'm not sure if it was core brain journal then, but or attitude or just websites on little pieces of post-it notes. And I used to fold over the side of the post-it note that was sticky. So I don't know why it wouldn't get fuzzy or something. I don't know how many post-it notes made it out of the jail actually, but I felt like it was something. And it certainly information was received so well. So you began talking to them. I would just interrupt for just a second and say, first of all, I want to thank you for plugging my book. I had no idea you were going to do that. (laughs) But it's the truth. (laughs) Well, that's very kind of you. But, you know, I'm glad that it had that effect on you. And that's probably the reason we're talking now, which I I didn't previously know. But I think it's very interesting because what you said is even though you had an awareness and you're a trained professional in the context of your life experience in the correctional institutions, you began to have more and more of an awareness of what was actually going on in corrections. Absolutely. We're coming in there. It was like the dawn was just like the sun was coming up and you were having more and more of an appreciation of how enormous this problem actually is. And that's kind of what we're talking about here. Yeah. And it's sort of like, you know, people don't believe in ADHD still. They don't believe I'm not hyperactive. I say it's between your ears, but the hyperactivity, I mean, so There's so much that I want to say about why now. And that has to do with the fact that during the time that I was in my job, I unfortunately, unfortunately, because everything is an opportunity for a lesson, but I was in a car accident and I had to have surgery and I was put on opioid pain medicine. And I was like the ever ready bunny. I could not believe the effect that this medication had on me. And I I knew I had ADHD, but I was also on ADHD meds. I went to my pain management doctor and I said, this is too much. And he said, well, right now you just have to lower your ADHD meds. So I did. And then when it was time for me to come off of them, the experience of withdrawal was so intense and so uncomfortable. And so not just physically, but emotionally, And one of the most awful experiences of my life. And I found myself standing uh, by my desk, like a big desk in my home, like trying to lift it up and shake it. I I felt such anger and such rage inside me. I felt like I was the incredible Hulk. And I I just like myself. I wanted to run away, but I couldn't. I had to. It was awful. All right. Let's ask for a point of clarification. Let me me interrupt you for just a second. Because... It's hard to not be completely with you on this point. Let's take it a little bit farther because I'm so interested in what you're talking about. I think listeners need to hear it. So point of clarification, you were really on stimulant medications. You took opiates and opioid medications. Prescribed, prescribed, yeah. pain, prescribed, right? Mm -hmm. And then what happened was you actually reached the point where you were better from what they were prescribing the painkillers for. And right. you had to go off the painkiller while you were still taking your stimulant medication. Is that correct? Well, I'm not even sure if I was taking the stimulants at that time. It was just, this is the, the point of my telling you this is I had a, a glimpse of myself, like an observing ego, like looking at myself. And I said, oh my gosh, if I were an inmate acting like this in jail, I would have been put on a watch because I looked so crazy or, I, you know, I felt so crazy. And it was at that moment I said, oh, 
wow, this is why people take drugs. People don't take drugs to feel good. People take drugs to avoid this feeling, this Mm -hmm. awful withdrawal feeling. And that was a big experience for me to be able to go back and really understand the drug use on the street in a different way. And um, then I started asking because I hadn't been working when I was on the medication, I wasn't working. So then I was asking, what does it feel like when you're on this opioid medicine? Like normally the warning from the prescription is this may cause drowsiness. Do not operate machinery. But people who have the paradoxical reaction to that medication, I'm not talking about the pain part, paradoxical, Mm -hmm. but the revved up, I can think, I could function, I could focus. I've never felt like this. That's what the good feeling was for something that's supposed to make the majority of people, I suppose, feel relaxed because what's the point of having a back surgery and making a patient want to rearrange furniture? So is your point that the opiate medication actually Mm -hmm. helped you with executive function? Yes. Exactly. I'm trying to say that, but I couldn't get to that point. I think that's a very telling point because you could see the seduction immediately there because in a way the opiates are more available than the stimulants. Not in all places, but that's a key No, it's exactly true. It's true. And then what happens though, that when they don't become available, then the other substances like heroin or the other street drugs then at least manage the withdrawal. And heroin is much cheaper than the oxy, whatever the names of the drugs on the street are now. But there's oxys, roxys. So it's the stimulant and the being able to function. That's the seduction. It's not a high. I mean, so that, what was I the mean, top of high, your career? Yeah. Was that back in 08? Or you said something before we actually started recording. So, so my car accident was 09. 09, I got you. Oh, nine. So that's when I had, that's around then that I had that kind of understanding of, about what was going on with opioids. But I was in this, still in this microcosm of corrections that I had no idea really how big it was in the outside world. But it was a big problem in, in the mental health department. Well, yeah. in the mental health department. Oh, I got you. Yep. Yeah. ADHD was not recognized in corrections. I worked for a company that had a contract to provide medical services. It's common to have privatized medical care in county corrections. And the policy about ADHD is it's not treated because it doesn't affect the function as an inmate. So there's no awareness of any kind of emotional or... They don't even know how to evaluate it. That's the problem. Well, they don't really want to. Yeah. Right, And because it's corrections, which is, could be anything from unpaid child support where they come in on Friday and leave on Monday, it's not really an appropriate place to diagnose and then not really have the treatment. Yeah. So education is appropriate. And somewhere in there is where you began to think maybe if I educated people. Right. I and so have- around, yeah, yeah, if I could, well, what happened also is I came across the ADHD Association in conjunction with the Delaware Department of Corrections. Well, the ADADA had done a white paper on the problem of ADHD in corrections. So there's a white paper on that. And then based on that white paper, they did a pilot study in the Department of Corrections in Delaware. And it, was, it ran for a year. And it was, the idea was to offer coaching to people who had ADHD. 
And um, it was only, I don't know all of the details. I do believe that one of the reasons that it wasn't renewed was the way that the project was designed uh, was designed based on the assumption that we're given that people are in corrections. They don't stay there for a certain amount of time, but many people do stay in corrections for more than a year. So I had been given that pilot study to use if I wanted to. And in 2016, let me just go back. In 2014, I decided to, I thought I would be a better at being an ADHD coach than as a psychologist because I don't really think like that DSM stuff. I got the idea that I would be an ADHD coach, but I still had this education piece in the back of my mind, or the, I'm sorry, the, the coaching project. And um, it was just leaving my job and starting a coaching practice and having my daughter get married, and all this good life stuff for me, but I just never got around to doing that project. But this year, in the past winter, I um, decided that I missed missed working in a system. I missed part of it. So I decided that I would volunteer for the newly uh, started New Jersey Reentry Corporation, which is a um, an organization that helps people who are recently coming out of the system get jobs. They help them a lot with getting their driver's licenses. They help them with housing. It's it's a really good organization. But the folks that are in this that um, are served by this organization is a different population than what I experienced in corrections. They're older, they're seasoned. And I saw these guys and I thought, wow, what if? What if like if we only knew earlier or if I just think that some education, not that everybody's solution is education about ADHD. There's a lot of other components, but I still I started to think this is not where my message is gonna land. This is not the time for people who are looking for housing to like have them like look into like what you know dopamine squirts look like and what are their triggers. They've been around the block a little bit. Well, and they were too late. I think, Beth, what you're saying is they were really too late in the system, too, because they're getting out. You didn't have – it's like we're going to hand them a big uh, pile of information as they walk out the door. Where's it going to go? Right, right. And so – and it's also that – so prison is somebody that's been convicted. They could be um, in a federal system. They could be in a state system. But somebody that's been in prison, it's a lot different than someone who's been in the correctional system in county correctional. Tell us about that. I can't really tell you. the. It's just that in corrections, you're being held to have your case heard. And in prison, you're sentenced. And you've got a residential thing going on in prison. In corrections, and, you're always in disposition some way. But technically, we think that corrections is shorter than prison. And it is shorter, but it's still people are incarcerated for a long time. Mm-hmm. A long time because the court's calendars are so jammed up. And I'm not speaking with any facts, and I don't mean to misspeak. This this is just your own experience. That's my what we're experience, here. right? We're just talking right. about what your observations are, watching the prison system go by, and right. you're thinking about how could I do something with these guys because there's a bigger problem here than I thought on the front end, and if I could get these guys addressed i say guys it could have been men and women well they're mostly there are mostly men but women are surely i mean there's a much larger population of men in uh who are incarcerated but there surely are women with the same problems 
And you know what? These people are parents of children who also, the point of, of education isn't just for the people that you're educating, it's that they maybe will be able to apply it in their families or it's big because we know now that, you know, we don't just inherit the shape of our noses from our parents, yeah. you know, so they can be better parents than the ones that they had because they, if we do offer some kind of education and solutions, and it's not just about medication, it's just about, it's first understanding and accepting the medication. A lot of people do need medication and a lot of people, you know what, a lot of people need a good meal that's not a junk food meal. I think what's appealing about the population in corrections for me is, you know, people in corrections, they don't, it's tough. It's tough to be incarcerated. However, as bad as the food is and as uncomfortable as it is, they're not having to deal with the, the activities of daily living in terms of like making sure that they have food on the table or something, getting their laundry done. The tasks that well, everybody with ADHD has to manage along with their jobs. You know, I was saying to my husband, when I'm home and I'm in home mode, I can, it's great. But when I'm in thinking mode, it's hard for me to switch back and forth between thinking and doing. That's just my flavor of ADHD. So I think that having, giving them an opportunity to people to be able to learn while they're, they have really nothing else to do. I think it makes them more open to maybe absorb the information. Well, you also had an experience, Beth, didn't you? We talked very briefly about this, but if you could amplify on it, I appreciate it. Because somewhere in there, you actually started answering questions and doing some teaching so you could see what was going on. Is that right? Yeah. Well, I would just start to actually, it got to the point where I had little, like little categories in my head of like, which flavor were you? And then I would start to ask, questions pretty much almost knowing what the answer would be and it would be a way of me showing that I understood and what happened in the understanding the corrections officers would say to me what are you doing what are you saying to them why do you make everybody cry because it wasn't like because it was like there was like tears of joyfulness or being understood for the first time yeah it was like so I was so rewarded I was so rewarded to, and I think because I had this only small amount of time, I really shot from the hip. If I was a clinician in private practice and I was depending on people coming back every week to see me, they would not get the same impact as this is all I got. I'm going to tell you, this this is what I see and go forward with it. It's a much better model for me. And I think I felt very, I don't know if this is uh, from explaining what I said to you before, but but for me, it was very re- rewarding to know it's like sort of being a gardener. I'm a gardener and I like gardening. And, you know, sometimes when people are coming through corrections, you are sometimes watering seeds that somebody else might have planted. And sometimes you have to pull out weeds and sometimes you get to sow some things and hope that something that you planted will stick. And using the metaphor of gardening, I would encourage people to say if you were a bulb, and we just saw the outside of you, what's there inside to bloom? We don't know until you grow, but we can't expect a daffodil to be a tulip. We have to appreciate people for the way that they are and the way that they're not. Yeah. So you have another plan that I want to make sure we get to cover because 
what you're saying is you struggled around, you've done different things, you've, you've worked with the inmates, you had some very satisfying experiences. I did. In working with them and you realized, hey, these guys really do need some additional understanding so they could move forward as opposed to just right. sitting in there doing your time, even if it's just a correctional period of time. I right. imagine the same thing is going to be so true if you really look at state and federal prison where you have much more well, time. It's, it's just not even that. It's so now the big news is the opioid crisis, the opioid crisis. And I haven't been working with other professions. I keep up like online with the people that I already know think like me that I don't realize that there's so many people that still are like, what are they saying? So I was at, I just, feel that even in the medical profession, in so many places, people just need to understand. We just need to understand about the brain. It applies to everybody. Because, you know, it's like uh, Ned Hallowell talks about driven to distraction. Not everybody has ADHD, but at some point, everybody might experience some symptoms of ADHD. And so understanding that there's a brain behind those feelings of being overwhelmed and then understanding what works to ameliorate those feelings. It applies to everybody, but specifically why now for me is that seeing the reentry programs that are being rolled out in New Jersey and seeing all this talk about the opioid crisis, I want to say, but why do you know why the opioid crisis? Because I don't know what the statistics are. I know that 2000. Uh, maybe 2,200 people lost their lives to overdose last year, year in New Jersey. That's what's being reported. But what I wish I knew is who, like who were the victims of these overdoses and would have education about the brain, the type of brain. And I'm not talking about, I can't control what's being put in the substances. I'm talking about like what drives people to take the, sub the substances. I don't know if I'm being clear here. And maybe yeah, I you are. You're talking about self-management. What you're saying is if a person knew more about themselves as a human being, and yes. some of the biology was, they could manage themselves better. They would have a better appreciation of what exactly what they're dealing with as opposed to not having any idea whatsoever what they're dealing with and just taking anything they can yes. to feel better. I mean, that's what the whole addiction thing is. I just... I just, I just feel better. Yeah. I don't care. Yes. And, you know, the thing that I really struggle with is I don't know what I don't know. Yeah. But I do believe that the way that I've been trained, I think of addiction or substance use is a symptom rather than an addiction is something different that I, I don't know that what that is as a diagnosis in terms of, is it a diagnosis or is it a symptom of a diagnosis? No, I mean, addiction <laughs> is the same thing, really. The reason I'm, I'm really quite interested in what you're talking about, because we haven't talked about this before, but addiction is the same thing as ADD. You've got a surface problem that appears a certain way with an underlying yes. complex of situations biologically that drives the dickens out of it. I mean, that's the bottom line. So this is one of the things I always had a problem with. I worked in addiction medicine myself for many years, and I absolutely resented the therapist who in a meeting would say, get this straight. You're just an alcoholic. That's all you are. You're, <laughs> yeah. you're an alcoholic, and you have to accept that that's what you are. That's who you are. Or you're a drug addict, and they would speak so reductionistically and so disrespectfully 
of a yes. human being about yes. you're nothing but an alcoholic, you're nothing but a drug addict, and completely ignoring the complexity of the human being. I mean, it's why I wrote my first book, Deep Recovery, because it was a lot of heartburn for me, and I got in trouble with the counselors I was working with because they were kind of road, road hard, put up wet warrior people who had been counselors for a long period of time, and they themselves in their recovery, one of the reasons they got into recovery is because people treated them like that. But yes. then they were then repeating the same trauma with another person. I'm not going to appreciate you as a human being. I'm just going to call you a drug addict until you get it through your drug addict brain that that's all you are. And what happens is, if that's recovery, who wants it? Right. Give me a break. I mean, who wants to be treated like that by anyone, much less a drug addiction counselor? Give me a break. For people who grew up with an alcoholic parent or a parent who was incarcerated because of drug involvement, I know as a kid, they thought, I don't want to be like that. They didn't want to be like that, but it wasn't like a, it's not about will. It's about, this is the brain you have. You are like that. So acceptance, it's, it's hard to accept. And it, it goes along with, um, Doug Knoll talks about the belief system and like why we resist change because we, when it doesn't coincide with our belief system, we get argumentative. Our belief system we set up so that we can function. If we give information that contradicts what we believe to be the truth, we're going to be met with resistance because it, it just turns everything upside down. Well, I'm so glad you brought up Dr. Doug Knoll because he's at corebrainjournal.com forward slash 180, folks. And he works in, Amazing. The, prison, mm -hmm. he works in the prison system in California. And he's been converting individuals into how they actually manage themselves with actual methods of mediation and negotiation. And he's had a very significant impact with them. And I think the real thing that we're talking about here is that if we don't change the way we're doing things, is mm -hmm. just going to continue to be repeated. That is the key point. You know, if, if we don't look at the biology of human beings, if we don't look at the ways they've been traumatized and the way they've then reflexly begun to think about their lives, the limitations in their lives, and they have no options, and we then go ahead and give them no more options because, hey, they're not a human being, they're really a drug addict, and if you forget the humanity thing, you're really a drug addict. And my feeling is you've got a drug problem, but let's stay with the humanity thing and look at options so you can, in fact, get better and have a self-esteem instead of me taking away every piece of self-esteem you have by calling you a label and, and giving you a name and putting you in a box and boxing you up and sending you to Siberia or whatever. Right. Well, you know, speaking about your core brain journal, recently you, there was the segment on Bart, uh, the... Um, Bart Billings? No, uh, Kevin... Oh, Kevin oh, uh, Kevin Kipp. Yes. The art, right. art. You're talking about yes, art. It, Accelerated yes, yes. resolution therapy. That guy's a piece right, of right. He's so, so cool. So what's great about like that. So I'm so honored to be talking to you as my, I'm like the common sense. It's like brain science. I'm the common sense, I think, person in the sense that I'm not a researcher. I don't have research behind me, but I have, I have these experiences. And when I listen to the art technique that is proven that it works because mm -hmm. we have data and there was research, I did something similar. And I, I just wanted to share, you know, a lot of times when people come into corrections and they're incarcerated and and this happens frequently with this it happens with both men and women but i think more frequently with the women where 
they become incarcerated and all of a sudden the reaction to incarceration is way beyond whatever happened to them in the moment. And so they get, they're breaking down, they're crying, I can't take it, I can't take it. And then they get referred to see the psychologist. And, you know, what happens is they having a PTSD reaction to a trauma that they had buried a long, for a long time. Yeah. So my job was, you know, either de-escalate it then or get them in a safer place. So I used a technique that was similar to the art technique. And I just wanted to share it because I, I guess my point is sometimes we have to go with our guts. And if it works, it works. So I would have the person tell me the story. And I would tell them, I don't want you to forget the story. And I didn't have them, the difference was I didn't have them change the ending. Yeah. What I had them do, and it only worked if there was a, enough of an age difference between the trauma and the event, is I'd say, we're going to write a movie. You're going to write the script, and then we're going to cast the movie. I'll be there with you. And we're going to have to pick the kid that's going to play you because you're too old to play that kid now. <laughs> and you're going to tell us how it felt and what it looked like. And then it's going to be filmed and we're going to, it's going to, you're going to have it and you can put it away and everybody can see it and you can look at it or not, but you don't have to worry about it creeping up because it's contained in this place of the film. And I, I can tell you it was effective because I didn't have to put them on a watch. You know, I'd follow up the next day and, it really was better, very yeah. effective. I'd say I was asking if I could come in as the psychologist in the movie as myself. Oh, yeah. That, I would ask. <laughs> well, Beth, I mean, listen, was, we're running was, out of time yeah. here. I got to tell you, I've really enjoyed this conversation. And I think we just, because we have a couple minutes here, I just wanted to wind it up. I think it's really very honorable what you're doing. I think it's innovative. And I think what you're doing is you're taking some of what Dr. Knoll was talking about you talk mm -hmm. about some of what Dr. Kevin Kipp was talking about, and you're mixing it into a population that doesn't get adequately served. And I think it's just absolutely terrific. And I'm so glad you came on to tell us about it. Is there a way people could get in contact with you? Do you have – now, folks, if she doesn't have it right now, I'm putting her on the spot a little bit. I'll have it in the show notes uh, down below because we, at the time we're recording it, she may not have it up and running. But you tell, can you tell us a way that they can get a hold of you then? So they can reach me at a website, bethbatinelli.com, or the ADHD Project. It goes to the same place if it's working. Oh, good. The ADHD Project. <laughs> okay, well, that's great. Well, Beth, thank you so much for coming on board. It'd be great after you get started for you to come back and tell us more about this. We'd really appreciate I, it. I would love it. And, I, and if any one of the listeners has any suggestions of something that worked for them with this population, I would be so grateful to hear what they have to say. See, that's great. That's teamwork. That's definitely teamwork. And, and I think that this is where we can all work together. It's the reason that we do this Core Brain Journal, because we need to have these conversations and move the needle forward as opposed to sitting on our hands and just treating people like boxes and, and labels and move on down the road with recovery and what we can do. Yeah. Right. I, I really appreciate this opportunity to talk with you. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming on, girl. You have a good one. You too. All right. We'll see you. Thanks for listening to Cobrain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. Here we share the complexity of mind science because as you know, details really do matter. One of the most pervasive misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications 
like those written for ADHD, are used so regularly without clear guidelines. If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference.